0: Not safe for work, not safe for work, not safe for work,
1: not safe for network. Welcome to Not Safe For Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. So, Brandon, did you watch the Game of Thrones trailer for House of Dragon? He said, knowing we watched it just before, we <laughs> literally recorded.
2: watched it five minutes ago.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I, I slightly said you should watch the House of Dragon trailer. <laughs> so, what'd you think? I'm gonna give it a give it a try. I'm pretty sure it's different showrunners. I don't think D.B. Weiss and... uh, Benioff. Yeah, Benioff are with HBO anymore. They got an overall deal, I think. I think i want to say it was with amazon or something so wherever they're at they're not with warners anymore so different people giving it a shot now i guess loosely based off of george R. R. martin material it sounds like from what i read it takes place a little before the house targaryen starts battling with some other houses so it's, it's a timeline where nothing has happened that we really know for sure i believe i'm sure some book reader will like flay me for this but i'm pretty sure like it's 200 years before the show, so if we get any characters that hold over, it's got to be through magical means, right? Right. Possibly a White Walker to possibly, like, uh is it Melisandre
2: that has lived forever? The, the witch lady? Yeah. Yeah. I think she was 500, so possibly could show up but I don't think they're like gonna bring anybody in so a big takeaway I had from this was one of the defining
1: features of people from House Targaryen is that like long blue hair and like really blue eyes and I realized I was thinking back to the Queen of Dragons who was in the first season before he got that crown of gold melted on him, right? And uh, he looked terrible with that hairdo and eye combination. And she was super hot with it. And I've noticed, like, when she's not dressed up like that, I don't find her nearly as attractive as I did in the show. So she really, really pulls it off. But everybody else in this, like, looks fantastic fucking weird with that super bleached blonde hairdo it feels weird and i realize that's like how you identify somebody from house targaryen but like i don't know if i'm going to be able to adjust to
2: that for the show it just looks strange see and it was supposed to originally have been purpleized that's how it was written in the books really yeah i don't know why they didn't go with that but purple contacts are a bitch like blue ones aren't not compared to
1: purple <laughs> They make blue ones all over the place. You probably have to have purple ones made, you know? I I mean, mean, it's just like a practical thing.
2: Well, I mean, they make stage contacts all the time. Sure. But I mean my kids got a whole bunch of them that are all like spider webs and cat eyes and different stuff. So Yeah, but it's, it's just m- more convenient to go with blue. <laughs> it looks like they're really gonna go with like get back to the, like the uh the intrigue that, you know, Game of Thrones was really known for. The first season, there wasn't really any magic at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got like opening with the White Walkers and Then it was like, we're in reality now. And so
1: I think it was like gently bringing the audience into this world so that they would accept it. And you get caught up into the more grounded stuff. The second season, they start to like throw some magic away a little bit, right? And it just keeps building and building and building. But eventually you get baby dragons and then full grown dragons, right? And then the budget's just getting way blown out (laughs) at that point. It appears this trailer's grounded. But that being said, it's like a minute long trailer and i think 20 seconds of it is pitch black so yeah <laughs> it's not like we saw all that much either i suspect we're going to see dragons in like season one you know what i mean
2: yeah i mean this was back before they killed all the dragons off i think i'm not sure because i think they talked in game of thrones like the place where they went with they had the uh the great, the stone skin that like gave you the stone skin like was full of dragons and they killed them off like 80 to 100 years before the show. So this would be before that. Right. And they also
1: talked about how the dragons kept getting smaller and smaller because they kept them confined. Right. So I don't know if this would be during that time period or not, but it's hard to say. I imagine HBO wants the dragons like people love the dragons. So
2: it's in the name.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that it is. So we also saw a scene drop from Peacemaker, which is James Gunn's produced show about the character Peacemaker from the Suicide Squad. What would you think from this little clip?
2: So it had Peacemaker and then a couple of guys that were in Amanda Waller's crew that were in the Suicide Squad, basically running the command center. And they're just like out at like a... Birkins or whatever, just having coffee. Peacemaker shows up in full Peacemaker costume. Has an eagle in the backseat of his car. (laughs) Eagly.
1: Right. Says his name is Eagly. And then the lady's like, Eagly, what do you name your dog, Doggy? And then the guy's like, do you have a daughter? And you named her Daughterly. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like a lot of fun. It definitely looks like they're leaning into the humor for it. So I'm definitely all about that for sure. What do you think this series
2: looks like? I don't know. Like, honestly, I have no idea where they're going to go with that. But I, I feel like it is A, going to be bloody and B, Funny. Yeah. So those are both check boxes in the right. Do you think they make
1: him a hero or do you think they make him an idiot who is not doing the right thing the entire time?
2: I feel like they're going to put him in situations where you want the guy to fuck things up. Just, I think they know what they're going to do with him, like purposely put him in places where you know he's going to do the wrong thing for her right reasons. Right. <laughs> Because as
1: we know, Amanda Waller is probably the biggest villain that there is, so...
2: I mean, I think she's very aware of who he is. It's a fucking moron.
1: <laughs> we saw this very clearly in The Suicide Squad, and we saw it very clearly in this scene, I think. So. I mean, he's sitting down eating breakfast in his fucking big-ass red outfit with his, like, gold mask that sticks out. Like, What the fuck? <laughs> so I watched... The Many Saints in Newark. And uh I just want to say it's really fucking good. And if you want to hear more about it right now, as this episode dropped, we'll have done an entire episode on a cosmic void about it. So I just want to plug that one more time. So one of the Lord of the Rings movies had an orc that was designed because Peter Jackson had a scuffle with Harvey Weinstein. He was just arguing with him all the time. and Harvey Weinstein could give a shit less about any of Tolkien's stuff. He was just trying to retain Peter Jackson on his contract, and so... He wound up making these giant movies, but he didn't really have any faith in it. And he was trying to get him to cut it to one movie and just all sorts of shit. But he gave him such a problem that apparently there's this one orc that's modeled after his face. And I looked at the picture of it and I was like, yep. Like, it's not so obvious that you would know. But when somebody points it out and then like circles it on a frame, it's very, very obvious. It's Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) And then Peter Jackson, uh, somebody else noticed after that came out. That there was a title card for uh, Harvey Weinstein and it had a couple of trolls drawn in the background of it that were like surrounding his name. So he was like back in 2001 doing these subtle things to like fuck with Harvey Weinstein that he may not have even picked up on because in addition to being a monster sexual predator, he was awful to directors and writers and everybody who worked at Miramax. so.
2: So I'm actually looking at the image now. And I think it's the one that says uh me- meets back on the menu boys. Is it? <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen them, so. Yeah, that's uh it definitely <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that's
1: the one. <laughs> Got the same nose, same forehead. I mean, Harvey Weinstein kind of looks like an orc already, so. Yeah. And uh Peter Jackson was talking about it on a radio interview. It must have been a podcast because they would have had to bleep it otherwise. But he was talking about how he designed the orc and and he was like, you know, I probably shouldn't have been saying these things because I'd be worried about my career. But he's in jail. So fuck him.
2: (laughs) 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 Fucking awesome. That's the right answer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Disney in court. Because Disney's had a bunch of court cases that have come up, and it's all stuff that we've talked about earlier on the show. And we've got some resolutions on two of these things, and then the third one is a new case they got coming up. Alan Dean Foster settled his royalty dispute with Disney. So as you might recall, we were talking about Alan Dean Foster had done Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was like the first Star Wars extended universe novel. He also did the novelization for Star Wars, novelization for Alien, all this other stuff. And when they bought out the rights for Fox they started not paying royalties to all the writers who did all of these novelizations but then on top of it they stopped paying royalties to all of Lucasfilm's novelists around the same time as well and Alan Dean Foster was going through a whole bunch and his wife got cancer and he's like I just want the money that's owed to me and so they finally settled and Disney's paying him so he seems to be happy about that but this was only after or the entire union of writers for Disney basically backed Scarlett Johansson in the case, which then got settled out of court because, and it got revealed, Johansson got paid $40 million when all was said and done. She asked for another $20 million because she was promised that back end, and Disney said no. So she turned around and sued him and got $40 million. Pretty good, dude. Yeah. It's pretty fucking good. She doubled it. They just hadn't been
2: assholes. They could have saved themselves. A cool 20 million. Yeah. And a lot of black eyes in the press. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something they can't really put a number on, but it hurts the pocketbook. Yeah so I'm sure you've heard about this
1: but a bunch of families of writers and a couple of the writers of Marvel characters are suing Disney right now for rights to the characters and just to clarify this is abortion of rights to the characters they know they're not going to get it outright basically at the time that, that they signed off on it they were supposed to get paid for their work right then and so that's been upheld by the court over and over again but they're going to sue to basically get a chunk of these characters from Disney so how do you feel about that, just out of curiosity.
2: I'm really on the side of the writers for this. And I know it's like Dick O's estate and a couple of the other writers' estates that are really pushing for this. I think it should go to the families. They created it. They should have part ownership. And it's one of those real skeezy things that they to young writers they're like you know contract out work and then retain full rights to it work for hire that's what i was yeah, trying to think of that legal gray area that's really have a hard time with intellectual property is real notorious for that you know somebody who's creating something they don't sit down in front of their typewriter or artist desk or anything create spider-man and then go home But the guy is sitting at home thinking about Spider-Man. The guy is driving to work. The guy is going to get ice cream. He's thinking about Spider-Man. It's more than just what he's been directly paid to do. It's real kind of dicey. And people like Disney get away with a lot more than they should.
1: Yeah, to be fair, they had fucked over people long before Disney. Like, I know know Disney owns it now, but I am trying to scale this back a little bit because we've been giving them a lot of black eyes as they've deserved. But this was all stuff where creators got fucked when they were timely comics, like at the inception of Marvel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Since uh, Todd McFarlane and all of those guys split off into Image Comics, eventually Marvel and DC started paying out royalties to artists and writers who developed characters afterwards because they knew otherwise they'd just go to Image. Because Image was outselling Marvel and DC for a while. So that was the only way that they could retain these guys. So they had to change their ways for sure. And Disney inherited this. However, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make it right. Like, they're still
2: making billions of dollars off of these characters, you know? And that is it. Billions of dollars. A little money back to the family estate. I think they can spare it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to have a
1: guest on in a little bit who is going to talk about what if, and when we'll have had this conversation, we'll have seen all of what if. But right now, I want to speculate what's going to happen for this final episode. So just to recap really quick, the episode that just happened, essentially, the Watcher is telling a story where Ultron managed to get into the Vision's body. Ultron basically takes over the whole world. The only people that are left are Black Widow and Hawkeye.
2: Yeah, the only two Avengers left is... Black Widow and Hawkeye. <laughs>
1: yeah, scary. And Hawkeye has got like the Bucky Barnes arm. Black Widow at one point finds the Red Guardian shield because they're looking around in the KGB offices. And they're looking for a file to help them fight Ultron. And it's basically they're looking for a file to find that one scientist from the Captain America movies who's on the computer hard drive. The one who is working with Hydra. Then Tommy Lee Jones gives him a stake. Zora. They finally get Zora to start tapping into the remaining robots and they realize that he's off-world. And he's off-world because he's out in the solar system eliminating...
2: He's out of the universe. He's more than off-world. Right. Like he sees Thanos,
1: he cuts him in half, just boom, like immediately with the Mind Stone... Just doesn't even delay, goes for the head, slices him all the way down. There's not even a battle. Like, Thanos just shows up with five Infinity Stones and dies. Takes the other Infinity Stones. Then he takes over the universe. And he sees the Watcher. Watching them, right? Right. That's where it becomes really interesting to me because we had that episode and go back to the episode where we had Peggy Carter on the cover as Agent Carter and we were talking about what if in the comics and kind of what we were hoping they'd bring to it in the show. If you go back and listen to it, we really explain Uatu. While we're explaining it, I was inferring that one of the things with Uatu is the push and pull between whether he should intervene or not. Right, like he always watches these things, but when he's not in What If, he tends to interfere with things from time to time. He was introduced to the Fantastic Four, giving them the ultimate nullifier, which stopped Galactus from devouring the Earth. So we've got that, okay? So that's basically the setup of the thing. Ultron, like, manages to blast through the barrier to get to the Watcher, and he fucking strangles the Watcher and stuff, and is beating the shit out of him. And the Watcher is just joining jumping from reality to reality to try and get away from him. And he finally does. But you can tell the Watcher is scared. Clint is like looking in the file and he's right next to the Zola file and he's like, it's right there! It's right there! Like he's all desperate and stuff for him to find it. But he's still not ready to intervene. And then finally at the end of the episode, because he gets the shit kicked out of him and he has to, he goes and sees Doctor Strange from the previous episode where he had basically destroyed his entire universe.
2: In that episode, Strange went up and was basically pleading with Owatu to like reset his universe because he fucked it up and he know he fucked it up. Yeah. So I find this
1: fascinating that it looks like he's going to grab Doctor Strange and based off of the clip we saw, he's at least grabbing the drunken Thor, but I kind of imagine he's probably going to grab a hero from all the unfinished episodes, right? Like all the ones that are kind of to be continued.
2: I'm betting. You know, it, there there's a good chance that, I mean, they go back to episode one, like picks up Peggy Carter. That seems like a given to me, right? Captain
1: Carter, Captain I guess Carter is what she goes with in that one. We might have one-legged Black Panther or Spider-Man, right? Because they're survivors in the zombie one. In the zombie. And, or maybe and, he just goes for zombie Thanos. I don't know.
2: I mean, he might pick up Killmonger. You think he goes with Killmonger? I feel I, like Killmonger is not going to play well with others. But he's really powerful. If anything about Killmonger, he's very intelligent and very calculated. True. But I would think he would be more apt to go with like
1: Siri or something like that. You know what I mean? Shuri. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Fratboy Thor. We're probably getting the T'Challa that like brought together the the Guardians and Thanos and everybody, right? Yeah. That's probably the one he goes with. If if this is what he's doing, if he's grabbing somebody yeah. from each one. You've got Captain Carter. It's a pretty good lineup. I'm sure that there'll be other ones that he grabs too, but we're just not thinking of them. Yeah. All right. So that's our prediction. Who do you think wins?
2: I feel like they really want to go the final hero's tale. I I feel like they're not going to go like the dark route. Who wins at the end of the day? Kang. You know who really wins? Mephisto. That's a good call. (laughs) But they haven't really put Mephisto in What If? Yeah. They have. have We
1: just didn't know. (laughs) He's actually evil Doctor Strange. (gasps) It was Mephisto! (laughs) All right. Thank you for joining us, Jeremiah Perez. Hello. So you are my co-host on A Cosmic Void, our movie podcast. You should totally check it out. We literally have an episode on the many Saints of new work that dropped right now. Not to mention like 37 other ones. So, <laughs> so we just talked about what we thought would happen and what if mm-hmm. we were generally right. If you wanted to talk about the series in whole, but let's talk about that last episode first oh, and man. then talk uh, about the series.
0: There's so much to say. Uh Is this the best thing Marvel has ever put out ever? Because that is what I am leaning towards. I am into it. The only thing I did not like about it was the Thor episode, but how it led into what the next few episodes was going to be? Genius. I love this. This is so sick. I, if you are a fan of Marvel and anthology series, like, check this out. The animation's a little, eh, I know a lot of people don't like the new anime stuff, but it's... It's worth watching, I assure you. I assure you. Just the whole Ultron thing, it really makes you appreciate thanos for going so easy <laughs> on everyone compared to like what ultron does you know uh
1: but what's interesting is i think ultron isn't great with using the stones right because he can identify them as we see in the later episodes but dude snap your fingers man you could get all the work done with the finger snap but mm-hmm. nope uh he just uses it to basically do the same thing but he's harder to to destroy as a result right like yeah what a loser
0: right like they should have just vision should have just cut out fucking don thanos's thumb
1: yeah that's a good point <laughs> you could probably just wish it anyway though i, th- I always feel like the snapping thing is just a thing that thanos does because he was really into show tunes on uh his planet or th- the moon of his whatever anyway <laughs> <laughs> he's a mad
0: titan of titanica yeah, Titanica. yeah <laughs> 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 the planet found by James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: what did you think about this episode? I mean, so we've got Uatu oh, putting the team together. We have Peggy Carter reunited with Steve in the cutscene that they finally do for What If. Um, we've got Dark Doctor Strange. Still kind of facing a punishment by being alone in the universe he created. But he has purpose. Redeeming. Like,
0: redeeming Um, himself. Dude, it's such a solid story. Everything leading up to it was just so good. And in a world where, like, you know. I just... We're, I'm so thankful that we have this. I've never been too fond of Marvel animated stuff, but... And there are some bangers, like Alex was telling me when we were on the phone. There are bangers.
1: Uh, there's a couple Avengers cartoons and Spider-Man cartoons I think are pretty solid. Uh, I'm fairly
0: fond of the, the anime stuff they did with Marvel. If you've never seen that, check it out. They have a Wolverine, an X-Men, and a Blade anime. I have not it's seen It's like this. straight Japanese anime style. It's, okay. And they, they did a Supernatural one, I think the same company did. You know, I... I'm always been more of a dc head and this is like almost definitely turned me over like uh you know i've definitely was, if anyone remembers when the Snyder Cut came out, I was balls to the walls with that, and then (laughs) Daddy Marvel just, you know, flipped me up, pulled me over, and smacked me in the ass and was like, no. (laughs) Watch this, and now I like Marvel, so. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I like them both. I like Marvel a little bit more. Yeah,
0: I definitely feel like I like Marvel a little more now, because uh, this was solid. This was solid good, good entertainment for everyone, not just like adults, and you get everything that every, every fan Has wanted like Marvel Zombies, uh, you know, um. The Killmonger thing. Everyone, like, they took little things that all the fans wanted and made those stories. And it's like, yes, it's so awesome. I think they cut out stuff too. So
1: there was supposed to be another episode. I knew it. The, I fucking of knew the it. Pandemic, they couldn't produce <laughs> one episode. It was
0: the Gomorrah one, right? It was the
1: Gomorrah. I one. fucking
0: knew it. Yeah. God damn it.
1: Yeah. So they, uh, they decided to just leave it in anyway and uh, then do the finale. Which that's are they going to redo it? It's unknown. They might do it for season two and maybe they don't. I don't know.
0: They should because it doesn't make sense because it's like...
1: It'd be nice to go backwards and see it, yeah. Because it's like... I want to know about the Infinity Stone Crusher.
0: I'm thinking what happens is instead of the Hulk getting sent away or whatever, it's actually Tony. So Tony ends up on the planet with... uh,
1: uh, so you're talking about the comic book thing where...
0: where no, no, no. Uh, it would be like of Hulk, but with Tony instead of Hulk. Right. Because that's what I'm thinking. Okay, so you're talking
1: happen. like with Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, because it's, it's like he has all, all the, blue,
0: the blue armor stuff, you know. Like, that was very reminiscent of, like, the armor that Thor had. So I'm thinking that that's what the, the story is going to be majorly about. And then leading up to that, Gamora just murders Thanos. Because that was supposed to be the whole thing, is that Gamora murders Thanos before uh, he gets all the... The Infinity Stones. So, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that for me. I fucking knew it. <laughs> I was talking to Nick about that last night, and I was like, "God damn it!" Because like, yeah, I
1: watched it, and, and I was they like, cut out did something. I forget something. They
0: cut out something else too because they didn't. You know how they took one person from every universe? Mm-hmm. They didn't have anything from the zombie universe.
1: Yeah, they did. They dropped all the zombies out yeah. of the thing. Hold on, and then one Scarlet like Age. zombie. Wanda comes out. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's. What about Spider? Spider Strange. What
1: good? What? Spider Strange. With the. Oh, because he has a cloak. Yeah, I was making a joke about how. We should have seen like one legged Black Panther.
0: Like, we could (laughs) see him.
1: But then I was like, nah, it's probably going to be the one from Guardians of the Galaxy, which of course it was. And by the way, congratulations. Like, he defeated Ego. They closed off all these storylines. I was like, that's great. Like, you kind of closed them all off.
0: So, rest in peace, uh, Chadwick, uh, Bozeman. Yeah, this was great. It's so sad that this is the last thing we're ever gonna get from him, too. Yeah, because it's like he's such a good character.
1: But if it makes you feel better, everybody thought the last thing we were gonna see with him was episode two of What If, and then there was like five more with him. So yeah. who knows?
0: And shouts out to not murdering Tony. In maybe this, he'll the show last up.
1: Maybe he'll show up in one of the episodes, and he's like, "So what? We're doing a microphone check." Right. Like <laughs> <laughs> they'll just like work it into the script so that we have animated T'Challa just saying stuff that. T'challa Chadwick Boseman was saying.
0: I never freeze. All right. I think we're good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I did not. So what I kept thinking about while I was watching this movie, I went to it. I'll I'll be honest. I went to it on Friday night and it was a Friday before last because I was going to review this last week, but had a family emergency so I couldn't. And I was taking my daughter out to it because it was her birthday and that's what she wanted to see. I wanted to go see the Sopranos movie. I'm a good dad, so I took her to Venom Let There Be Carnage, which I was going to get around to seeing eventually. Venom came out when I was 9 years old, and I thought he was awesome. And then Carnage came out when I was 13, and I also thought he was awesome. And as I got older, they kept stretching out stuff with them, starting to make Venom an anti-hero, giving Carnage more and more weird powers, having all these offshoots of the symbiotes, having different people be the symbiotes. And as they stretched out the character as they put it into other iterations as they basically fucked out the character I was less and less impressed with it Probably peaking around Spider-Man 3 where I'm just like, man, I'm so fucking done with Venom. Yeah. (laughs) Like I knew they did it wrong by that point, but I was already out on Venom by the time that hit the screen. And then the movie came out and I was kind of excited about it. And then they had that turd in the wind comment on the trailer. (laughs) And I was like, do I really want to go see a turd in the wind movie? And I didn't. Uh, I wound up watching it at home. And being at home, I was like, I'm glad I didn't pay money for this. Like the special effects were cool, but I just thought it was a terrible movie. And I can see why some people liked it because I could see how it was vulgar in all the ways where certain people would like love it. But to me, it was just obnoxious. Like, it just felt genuinely obnoxious. And so I watched this one, which I know I'm going to get flamed for this. Let me put it this way. Rotten Tomatoes had a 59% when I last looked at it for the critic rating and an 85% for the audience rating. Almost universally, when it's that way, when the critics are very down on it and the audience is very up on it, I tend to side with the critics like 90% of the time and this one is no different. I found it puzzling, the choices that they made, and very dumb. And I'll give you an example. Woody Harrelson, who's Not very good in this movie. You can see him physically reaching for his paycheck in every other scene. (laughs) Uh, And not written particularly well either. At the beginning, they have him as a 15-year-old. And this 15-year-old is not Woody Harrelson de-aged or anything like that. It's just an actor who's a 15-year-old. But when he's talking, they dubbed over Woody Harrelson's voice. Woody Harrelson's 60-year-old voice. Dubbed over this, dude. (laughs) Uh, that was baffling. I'm not going to lie. I I don't know why you would do that.
2: And not even like auto-tune Woody Harrelson?
1: No. They did nothing to the voice. (laughs) Been smoking weed heavy for like 45 years, Woody Harrelson voice. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, His character also rambles and makes no fucking sense whatsoever ever in this movie. And it just gets very annoying very quickly. It would be like having an argument with the Lucky Charms leprechaun or something. Like, you're just not going to... Like, you can tell the leprechaun's in the wrong and you're trying to tell him, but he's just like, oh, he's after me Lucky Charms, the purple horseshoes. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You took a piss on my carpet. Why did you do that? Oh, they're always after me Lucky Charms. God damn it, Lucky. You know, it's this is basically the energy that Woody Harrelson brings to this movie, but it's like a super insulting redneck accent.
2: I found QAnon. Uh, A little bit,
1: yeah. A little bit. (laughs) His girlfriend, who has superpowers and does sonic waves, which, like, makes sense because you're like, oh, that's how they're going to be Like, you can just tell right away it's got something to do with her knowing sound. So he goes to get her, and the symbiote that he has doesn't like her. And uh, so that causes rifts. But the main rift in this is between eddie and venom and they did something interesting with this plot now they put in an lbgtq thing into this and they basically did it like eddie and the symbiote love each other but eddie wants to closet the symbiote now if they had left this a subtext I think this would have been super interesting. But instead, what they do is have Venom covered in glow rings at a, A basically a gay rave. And he's saying, Eddie wants to closet me. And they're all like, boo. And then he's like, I love you all. They're not subtexting it. They're just fucking making it text, which makes it seem so goddamn stupid and insulting. They're trying to, like, be cool about it. But if they had made it subtext, it would have worked way better. But nothing is casual in this movie. Fucking nothing, dude. (laughs) Now, they do lean into the comedy, which I do got to say is a better choice. I just did not dig the comedy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't like it, dude. I felt it like it was for 13 and nine-year-olds. Now, I got to talk about the end. Eddie Brock is sitting in a room, and the symbiote is telling him, if you only knew what the hive mind had, but it would scramble your brain. And so Eddie Brock is saying, I can take it. And he says he'll show him a fraction. And then all of a sudden, it seems like everything kind of shifts. And then... Venom is like, I didn't do that, and it turns out that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is being revealed by J. Jonah Jameson on the TV, that he is Spider-Man. Of course, it's called from Spider-Man Far From Home. I am just not a fan of this. I really did not want to see Venom cross over into this. I really don't like the tone of Venom. I don't know how they're going to make it work for this movie, but... I guess it's going to happen. This is probably something that Sony demanded when they renegotiated the contract. There was a lot of talk that they wanted to fold Venom into the MCU. By the way, I am talking without Brandon. I am talking without Carl at this point. We'll come back to Brandon a little bit later in the podcast. So let me talk about Dave Chappelle, The Closer. Of course, it's getting a lot of news because it had a lot of negative LBGTQ stuff. Now, I watched this special before I read any of this stuff. I've been a big fan of Dave Chappelle, but I have been concerned about his attitude towards transsexuals in particular. I actually have watched a special, so unlike a lot of people that are just kind of repeating the same lines over and over again without context, I understand the context. I felt like in the last couple of specials, if you actually listened to what he was saying, it might not have been so bad, but it seemed like he really had a burn a saddle on this one, and he just kept going back to it over and over again. There was definitely points to it. I want to address this because like, I want to talk about what he's actually saying rather than just what the talking points on this are, which is something that is driving him crazy. It drives him crazy that he gets accused of punching down over and over again. And he talks about how there was this list that came out that somebody had put out years and years ago. And whenever somebody criticizes him, they always refer back to this list and use the things. And he knows that that means they weren't listening to the special. So this is one of the criticisms that he has that in itself is not so bad he also refers to how their community is doing much better than the black community they're getting a lot of gains he's saying that he's jealous and he has kind of a funny line which is that he's never had a problem with transsexuals it's white people that he hates and it's very funny when he delivers that line but he's also talking about how he got in an argument with a transsexual at a club and I'm pretty sure this is just a story that he told you know because it's standard. Up. You're not totally telling the truth. You're basically getting your point of view across with a funny punchline, and you're kind of writing history to match your stand-up bit, right? Like, it just should be understand what stand-up comedians, that's what they tend to do to make it work. Now, in this particular story, the thing that drove him crazy is that when the police came because she had punched him. She basically turned white and called the cops, which means they can step out of their identity and just become a white person and a black person can still be responsible. This is a legitimate gripe. It is a form of privilege and it's very uncomfortable to talk about. And I guess I'm just not so famous where I feel comfortable enough to talk about it. I have a lot of transsexual friends in my life. I have a lot of black friends in my life. And I happen to be a white person. So if you want to disregard my opinion, completely understand. Like I'm privileged as fuck. I realize it. But I think that there are some real points that we've kind of hit this point where it is very uncouth to talk about LGBTQ in any negative way, which I actually think is good because I think it kind of balances out how it was before the last year or two which was very very negative the problem is that we are not affording the same thing to black people and i really think that's true i think and a lot of corners it's still okay to make a lot of racist jokes and it's okay to get away with that and he's pointing to that you know and uh it is fucked up however it does not justify how many times he goes back and just makes these jokes that he knows are going to piss people off And it's done very pointedly. He said that he's not afraid to get canceled. He said it in the special... And that's very, very apparent in this. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe he's trying to get canceled in a way. Like, I know this is his last Netflix special and his deal. He made $120 for six specials. It's possible that that's what he's doing. I mean, we've seen him step away before and he definitely referred to it in his routine. And there's a lot of things to think about in his special. But what I don't like about this is the reaction to it is not really seeming to take into consideration the things that he's saying. And he's truly not taking into consideration the things that that community is saying about him. And so it's just this feedback loop that goes on, on, and on. And I love Dave Chappelle's comedy, but I think he needs to take some time. And I think he needs to get over this because we watched it in three straight specials now. He's just getting angrier and angrier. And it's possible that part of this is because he spends a great deal amount of time in the set talking about a comedian friend of his that was was transsexual and it does come off (sighs) let me put it this way you know how a lot of white guys try and get away with telling jokes about black people that are not cool and they say like no 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 like i got a black friend and they really like this joke basically doing the same thing with transsexual now it's possible that he's threading in some irony and trying to make that point i'm not sure that's what it is i feel like it's not i haven't heard anybody make this point it is possible he tends to write jokes with a lot of levels to him where on the surface it tends to be crude but if you stop to think about it there's usually a lot of subtext within his jokes and it's possible that that's what he's doing but i just felt like he went so over the top and insulting the lbgtq community that i don't know at the end of the day All of this controversy aside, I watched this special, and I think I laughed once. And that's just not a good special. And when I compare it to the first special that he put out, it was hilarious. I was rolling. And it just seemed like these last three specials, he's been getting angrier and angrier, and it's been less and less funny. And I do realize that there's a lot of things going on, and Dave Chappelle has always been a very politically active comedian. So... You know, like it's probably not for me to say what's appropriate for him to say and what's not appropriate. This is those communities that really are the ones that are the best judge of this stuff. But for my money, you got to at least have jokes that land and honestly, like jokes that belittle other communities just aren't very funny to me anymore. So moving on, I want to talk about Squid Game. So Squid Game is a sensation that's just been blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. This special was a real shocker to Netflix how much it caught on. It's Korean language. When I started watching it, I accidentally had the dub on it. And I watched the intro and then turned it off because as soon as I heard him speak, I was like, yeah, I can't roll with this. Now, there are parts in English later on, but I think it's just fantastic. It's essentially these people that are very, very poor. And they've been earmarked for being poor. It seems like they all owe some kind of big debt that they have no chance of paying off. And so they corral them into this game. They don't know what they're getting into, but basically people are dying during these games. And whoever wins gets this huge amount of money. I'm not familiar with with South Korean currency, so I can't tell you exactly how much, but it seems like it's a life-changing amount. And the show they are doing these games that are kind of games that you would see children play right like red light green light you know like go and run on the green light stop in the red light and if you move this motion sensor senses you and picks you off it's very shocking when you watch it just the amount of bodies i think there's 264 people to start and then it wipes out over half of them by the end of the first competition and one of the rules is you can vote to end the game now in the lead up of this first episode you have the main character seems like a kind of a man-child, very privileged. He clearly has a lot of debt. He's sponging off of his mom, he's stealing her debit card and he's got a daughter that he doesn't connect to super well because he disappoints her over and over again. None of this is breaking the wheel. None of this is super original, but it just delivers it in such a good way because by the time you get to the first episode, you realize like it's stepped up and you're not worried about these little things like you're seeing humanity being wiped out here. And so in the second episode, they vote to stop the game and so they all kind of go back to their lives. of them wind up coming back to the game because they realize the world that they're in, it's just like their days are kind of numbered anyway. And so we have a lot of kind of archetypes of different characters that are competing in, but they know that they're fighting for their lives. And at the end, they'll be rich if they wind up winning the entire thing. Now, there's a lot of twists and turns. I don't want to spoil it for you. I basically talked about the first two episodes here. There's nine It's kind of a breezy watch, to be honest. Most of the episodes are about 50 minutes. The penultimate episode is 30 minutes because they had this little contained story that they wanted to tell. And instead of padding it out, they're just like, nope, this episode's 30 minutes. It's good enough. So instead of doing an extra long last episode, which is a little bit longer than normal, they decided to make this two episodes. I thought that was a good move. I really like that decision, and it's not one you see very often. Which, with streamers, there's no reason for them not to do that. Like, if it works, go ahead and do it. I, I like that they played with the form a little bit there. They have one scene in particular where there's two characters that are very closed off. And they have about 30 minutes to play this game. And at the end of it, one of them is going to get the other one killed. And so these characters are kind of looking at each other. And they're not used to sharing things about themselves. And so they have a conversation. They open up to themselves. And they're talking about it. And I feel like the timer goes off and re- real time. So it's like 30 minutes that they have and it takes about 30 minutes to get to the conclusion. And it's just really well done. It talks a lot about capitalism and stuff that definitely resonates here because honestly, like we're in a global economy and we're all facing the same kind of bullshit. If you're not in the upper 1%, life is really hard. It's really hard. We're all kind of in the bottom of the barrel and some people have it worse than others. And they have each other fight each other a little. Now, there's clearly a divide between the north and south of Korea that they show through all sorts of symbology in this. And I find it very fascinating. It's not the kind of thing that we normally see in America, because this is a different part of the world facing a different struggle. And I found that very fascinating as well. I just really highly recommend people watching this. I know they're working on season two and trying to come up with a good idea for season two. They may not have even thought they were going to get a season two, but they leave it open for a season two. As to what they do with that, I don't know, but I'm on board for it. This was a really good watch and I highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out yet. So I went and saw James Bond, No Time to Die, the other night. So of course this movie's been delayed, I believe, eight times. It got delayed the first two times because Danny Boyle was supposed to direct it and he wound up having creative differences with them and backing out. And so Carrie Fuganagua stepped in because they did a list of all the people that they had in their stable who could direct it within this like 30 day period like basically the next 30 days who can start developing this and Fukunaga was the one they came up with. I thought he did a pretty good job for the most part. I do have some criticisms but it should be noted it knocked Venom out of the number one slot and Venom was a Pretty big hit. I think it had the biggest opening weekend of any movie in the pandemic so far. So that was doing pretty well, and James Bond knocked it off this week. The premise is essentially James Bond, he's basically trying to fight somebody who's got this virus, and this virus is coded to people's genetics. They can choose who it kills. And, of course, they are going to wrap in Spectre into this because they paid a lot of money for those Spectre rights from way back. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, Christoph Waltz is sitting in a cell for a chunk of this movie, and Christoph Waltz is kind of doing his Hannibal Lecter thing. And I gotta say, he's doing even better than he did in the first movie. I liked him in the first movie. I didn't like a lot of the things they wrote into it, making Blofeld his brother... The way that they delivered that he's Blofeld and it doesn't make sense because that's not something that anybody would care about. Like the name Blofeld, the audience cares about. But to deliver it dramatically like that, it just was weird when you take into context the story that they're trying to tell. Even though they acknowledge it, they really don't dwell on that stuff too much. Like this does tie together the other movies in a very neat way. It seems like every movie was directly tied to Casino Royale, and this movie is no different. He's still trying to grasp with the death of Vesper, and he's found a new love along the way, and he thinks that she betrayed him. And this is when I'm going to start getting into spoiler territory, so if you don't want to hear this, maybe scan ahead five minutes. But she winds up having his child, and you don't find out until later and Christoph Waltz and the entire organization of Spectre gets wiped out with this virus, which means that Bond has been exposed to it. And Rami Malek plays this really odd villain. He does a really good job because he comes off as so odd and just so out there that it's like, this seems like a formidable villain because it's like, you don't even know what he wants from moment to moment but in a creepy way. And so I definitely think it works. Uh, Daniel Craig is just killing it in this. Like, I felt like he's killed it in all the Bond movies. They're not all great. I feel like I would probably put Casino Royale at the top. Very, very close to it. For me, even though it's not as good of a movie, it's a way more beautiful movie. And I do love Skyfall. That's one I'll definitely be returning to time and time again. This movie is the second most beautiful shot movie. I think that they had for a James Bond movie, I would say that Skyfall is number one. They got Roger Deakins like one of the greats in cinematography but this one just has so many sweeping shots and they do interesting things like when Bond is fighting up the stairwell, uh, they're doing an unbroken take as a shot i mean there's shots hidden in there i'm pretty sure but you know they're making it look unbroken and then there's a part where the camera kind of swivels over and shows you some villains and then kind of does their point of view as they come out and then bond dispatches them it's really really cool the way that they do it and then they set into essentially because bond has been exposed to this virus when he touches Rami Malik, it's basically this virus that will kill anybody he comes into contact with, so he knows he's fucked. He winds up calling in an airstrike, and they blow up the base, and he decides to go out with the base while he's kind of looking on the sunrise, and I mean, he's got a kid, and he was willing to settle down, it seems like, because this is a different kind of bond as we've seen in the Daniel Craig movies, but I just think it works really, really well. Now, the run time is too long. It's two hours and 45 minutes, and I get why they did it, because... I think they wanted to do a big epic because it's the first time they killed James Bond on the screen. If I'm being honest, I feel like just about every James Bond movie is too long. <laughs> like, they always tend to run about 215 to 225, and I just feel like that's too fucking much for a Bond movie. And I do love Bond movies, but, you know, they kind of do the same thing over and over again. So at a certain point, you're like, come on, can't we trim this just a little bit? The stunts didn't really get me too much in this movie, but they did a year and a half ago when I originally saw them in trailers, and I think that's pretty pretty telling that they had to keep coming out with trailers and so I think they spoiled every super cool action scene that they had and yet this movie really does work at the end of the day. I would say it falls in the middle of Daniel Craig's movies and I would probably slot maybe Quantum of Solace at number four Inspector was just not good. That's definitely the fifth one. I mean I got a little bit high on it when I first walked out of it because Christoph Waltz was doing Christoph Waltz thing with his short pants and kind of talking with his little apple. You know, but that was really the only thing I loved about that particular movie. So really quick, I want to rate the Bonds just because we're at the end of the Daniel Craig era. They did something original, which is they rebooted Bond and made it a completely new story. And then they ended that story. And I'm kind of wondering if that's what they're going to do with James Bond going forward. So I am going to say Daniel Craig is the greatest James Bond. I know that's a somewhat popular opinion. I know he's a new one. So the new one is always getting a little bit more credit than they deserve, but I do think that he was a really good Bond. I think he was able to handle the humor well when he had it. There's not a lot of humor in this movie, but when he was given humor, he did it well. He was very physical. He had kind of like a sexual energy to him that was unlike the other Bonds, and he could do the physicality things that Connery can do. He just had every element of Bond and had them all on lockdown, which he was a jack of all trade with the bonds. He could do it all and he could do it all well. Uh, Sean Connery is the next one. He's kind of gone up and down my list over the years. I kind of held the wife beater thing against him because why wouldn't you? But now that he's dead and gone and I can just look at this as a character, I think Connery was really good in the role. I'm not necessarily speaking to the movies, although there was a lot of bangers in Connery's run. I mean, you had Goldfinger, you had To Rush With Love. I really like Thunderball. I pick that as the best part four movie of all time back in a a very old podcast that we did there's just a lot of good connery movies and i thought that he had a really good command of the character pierce brosnan I liked him. He was very suave and you could buy some of the action things that he did when you're watching it. And I'll be honest, dude, it was the first Bond movie I ever went to in the theater was Pierce Brosnan. So I have a bit of soft spot for him anyway. Number four, I pick Roger Moore. There was a time where I thought Roger Moore was the best Bond when I was in high school, but I guess I just liked the other three better. But Roger Moore was the suavest of all the Bonds. And I think he handled humor the best of all the Bonds as well. And that really spoke to the era of Bond movies he was making in the 70s and the 80s. They were very campy, a lot of them, but I enjoy the camp. The exception of him running around in a clown outfit and octopussy, not a great look. Now, I know what you're thinking. Number five, got to be Timothy Dalton, right? Wrong. I'm going to go with George Lazenby. Yes, he only got one movie. It doesn't matter. It's a banger of a movie, and he does a great job. So I don't have a lot to say about it because he didn't have a lot of run. Uh, He, of course, famously stepped away because he started really getting swept into the counterculture and lost his fucking mind (laughs) he's kind of a footnote in the bond legend Um, i'm gonna go timothy dalton as last of the official bonds look he was trying to do a super serious thing I, i didn't buy him in his action i didn't buy him with his wry humor or whatever but he was at least trying something that wouldn't really work until daniel craig picked it up so yeah, I'm sorry, Timothy Doll. I still love you. You'll still always be Prince Baron and Flash Gordon to me. Now, I'm not done with this list yet because this is a complete list. So next, I'm going to go with David Niven. He was in Casino Royale. It was a 1967 movie that was kind of a parody of James Bond that had pulled up a teleplay from TV of Casino Royale. And with that, It had kind of an amazing cast. It's interesting. They had Ursula Andress return in it, and she was playing Vesper. And then you had three directors: Woody Allen, Orson Welles, John Huston. Now I know a lot of things have not aged well about those, but it's very interesting they pulled three directors to be actors in this movie. But it just falls a little short of *Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back*, which we mentioned on *Box Office Battle* one time. That six directors with Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, Ben Affleck, John Stewart, Gus Van Zandt, and Wes Craven. So maybe if they tried just a little bit harder pulling directors, they could have pulled it off. Dead last is Barry Nelson. This this was on the teleplay for Casino Royale from 1954. It was on an episode of a show called Climax. You can't make that up. Uh, he was an American Bond, and everybody refers to him as Jimmy Bond and his best friend, which would be Claire, Which would be Felix Leiter in all the other movies. Which, by the way, Felix Leiter totally dies in this movie, too. Jeffrey Wright. And Jeffrey Wright is my favorite Felix Leiter. But in this particular teleplay, it's Clarence Leiter. What the... Fuck. Jimmy Bond and Clarence Leiter? But what's really interesting about that teleplay was it was forgotten and then discovered again in 1981. There was also two minutes that were missing from it that they eventually recovered about 13 years later and put it onto a DVD set. And people give so so little of a shit about this movie that, like, it's free on YouTube so you can watch it. But I don't know why you would. Because, man, it's boring. (laughs) I really tried and, uh... It is super, super boring.
2: So you wanted to review a show? Actually, I think they're almost to the finale of the show. And I am nowhere near the finale. Yeah. It has been a slow watch for me. It's uh, only murders in the building. So if you haven't heard about this, the three main characters are Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And they're all in this uh, large high-rise apartment condo building. And it starts off with like – I'm trying to remember who it was. was standing over a dead body and it's like, this isn't what he looks like. You know, that old cliche. It literally starts with that. It literally like yeah. open scene.
1: Yeah. I saw it. It literally starts with that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then they find out somebody like the, the person was murdered and they're like trying to create a podcast. So the story within the story that's not the main story is Steve Martin is an ex actor, like retired. He had like a cop show back in like, late 70s early 80s when like the cop detective thing was really hot right one guy like recognizes him on the street yeah and is saying uh oh wow i love that
1: show i used to watch it with my dad and he's like oh thanks and he's like yeah my dad died and just gets super sad with it and then steve martin's like all awkward and then finally he's like so uh you want a picture he's like yeah sure and he hands the phone to steve martin and has him take a picture of him
2: with his girlfriend <laughs> Which I thought was pretty great. Yeah, not the reaction I think he was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they're like one of the scenes like uh, Steve Barnes talking to Salima Gomez and he gives him this really long like uh, monologue about his father and his relationship with his father. An episode or two later like she's watching a YouTube clip of the show and he like gives the exact same monologue verbatim on the show. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on. And then they're, like, trying to make, like, a true crime podcast. They're still literally a murderer in the building, but they're, like, trying to dig in and make a podcast. And Martin Short's character is a Broadway producer that, like, has fucked shit up for himself. And so he's, like, basically back on his rant and like way behind and he's estranged from his son because he keeps bumming money from his son and he's like trying to get this podcast put together so he can make enough money to pay rent and it's kind of funny It just thinking about like when we first started podcasting oh so many years ago yeah in a garage <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that was when I started with you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first two episodes were in a hotel room with my friend Greg, <laughs> and we were excessively drunk. And we were coaching at Special Olympics, and we were off for the night. And we just got very, very drunk in the hotel room. And the first one was just him and me talking back and forth. And then we recorded the second one the next night, and we invited in our friend John. And then he started telling us some really wild stories that I became uncomfortable with later and pulled them from the feed. (laughs) I think it's the only one that I've like pulled from any podcast that I've done. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, we were learning too. And it was a little boxy Tascam that had microphones built into it. And I would just turn it on, approximate it, sort of pointed towards us and just go. Right. No setup or anything. No headphones. Just go. No
2: research. Nothing.
1: I think by like episode three, I started printing up notes. That's right. I printed them up. And uh, I would bring them and people would make fun of me sometimes when they were sitting in because I had notes, but I was very insistent on it for a long time. And then I got tired of being made fun of. So after a couple of years, I stopped having notes. And then Matthew Campbell got on me for it because <laughs> <laughs> he's very uncomfortable with how loose I was going. And so I thought that was kind of funny. And we would banner back and forth about that for a year or so. And then I started doing podcasts where, you know, I always double up. And I started doing stuff where, like, I had to have notes. And then once I had to have notes, it was just, like, notes for everything again. (laughs) (laughs) So you can always find me with Google Docs in my hand whenever I'm recording now. But, yeah, we've gone through all of that. No true crime podcast yet.
2: No, and I don't really want people murdered around me, so... I don't want to go down that route. No,
1: but I don't feel like that happens for true crime podcasters except for in TV shows and movies because that also happens in Halloween, right? Like in the the reboot of Halloween, the true crime podcasters get murdered by Michael Myers at one part.
2: I mean, that's an old thing. I mean, I was just like watching a little review on screen the other day like uh, Courtney Cox's character – Basically had a crime broadcast, but it was a TV book or like was a, a, bo- a book. She it She had
1: a- books, but she was reporting for a show that was basically like a current affair at the time. Yeah. Like Bill O'Reilly's old sleazy tabloid show where they'd follow around like anything with Heidi Fleiss or like Jeffrey Dahmer or fucking any, anything salacious, right? Like who is the, the teenager who shot uh, Joey Buttafuoco's wife? oh was it like amy, amy fisher. fisher yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> i was like lolita's like all it's all yeah the long
1: it. island lolita is what they called her right yeah it was a simpler time back then no it wasn't it no. was the same shit in a different package <laughs> it Dude, really
2: was yeah a
1: different box same shit <laughs> but nobody ever killed bill o'reilly what the fuck <laughs> i want to write <laughs> missed a missed opportunity i want to write a book about it called killing bill o'reilly couple of people
2: got that and they're laughing their heads <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it. So I'm only like four or five episodes in right now. And it's been one of those like I watched one episode and then like a week later I'll watch another episode because nobody else in my family gives a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you try the, it's got Selena Gomez thing? They don't care.
1: (laughs) Did you try, like, it's got a true crime podcast? I tried that with my wife and she's like, no,
2: no, that's that's not happening. Dude,
1: my wife will watch, like, people getting murdered all over TV shows and documentaries. The second you put it in podcast form, she really doesn't want much to do with it. (laughs) Like, I introduced her to Serial and she wouldn't, like, binge it, but she would listen to it once a day when we're on vacation and looked forward to it but the second it was over she just like was like how does it end and i'm like i don't know i don't care about true crime and she's like you were the one that suggested it to me i was like yeah because i knew you would like it like i don't care about that like that's for (laughs) you like just listen to it in your spare time or when you drive to work because she has a 45 minute drive to work and she's like i'm not gonna do that
2: (laughs) so she got like two thirds of the way through which is funny which is funny because like I have like a five minute drive to work and that's where that's all of my podcast time. I'm kind of nuts with it because I listen
1: to it on my way to work. When I'm at work and everybody leaves, I put them into my ears because I'm usually alone for anywhere from like an hour to three hours, depending on what I have in my day. I listen to podcasts that whole time. Then I listen to them on my way back from work. Anytime I'm doing something around the house, I put in my earphones and listen to podcasts. And when I go out for a smoke or a walk, I also listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of fucking podcasts.
2: Like at work, I can't listen to it because like I have music on at work. And it's just because you can just have that in the background is... not noise. distracting, but... Yeah. Like podcasts, like the ones I enjoy listening, are require active listening. Yes, they do.
1: Yeah, mine do too. If I'm doing the artwork for an episode, I can do that. Like I can listen to podcasts. That's not a big deal. And so when I'm doing the cover and I really fucking work hard at it, like the the cover for a podcast, not just an episode, but the whole thing, those ones I usually listen to podcasts because that'll take me hours and hours and hours to do, whereas like the other ones take me like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) So like that kind of stuff, I can listen to podcasts. Podcast, doing dishes, like sweeping, stupid shit like that. Like, sure, anything like that I can do. The second I have to talk, or type, or read, podcast is out. Like, why even have a playing? Because I'm either not going to understand what is being said in my ears or I'm not going to be able to concentrate on what I'm doing. Right. Like, my mind's very binary that way. It's one or the other. So I don't know how, like, when my dad worked at the state fund, we would go into his cubicle and there'd be people listening to music. But then occasionally you would walk by a cubicle and they're listening to the talk radio and they were typing out case forms or whatever. And like, I don't know how you do that. I have no idea.
2: Oh, I remember one of the old jobs I worked at would have Rush Limbaugh talk radio. Yeah. And that's like an extra level of irritating. Yep. Doing a similar job to what I'm doing now where I'm actually sitting down designing stuff, working with computers, really focused, doing a lot of writing. So I'm doing that. But then I have like Rush Limbaugh.
1: Well, you know. Ladies and gentlemen.
2: The yeah, Democrats just, are trying to ruin our entire country. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it just, was just like – I i was like, A, this is this is dog shit and B, this is like – it. even if it – like the topic wasn't horse shit, it's still like distracting from what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to design stuff for you so you can sell that and make money. Well, and there's <laughs> an extra level to this. And I know other people around town had this problem
1: because we had one taxi cab in all of Helena. We just had one. <laughs> And there was this guy who was often driving it, and the few times I had to break down and pay for a cab when I was younger, he was always listening to Rush Limbaugh. Like, fucking always. And... The more I think about it, it's very irritating because it doesn't even matter what his political viewpoint is. It's the fact that you're listening to something and you're like forcing other people to listen to that thing. But it's like such a strong political opinion. Like right now, I mean, I'm sure people can suss out where we're at on the political spectrum, but like you can also turn us off. You know what I mean? It's different when you're forcing somebody to listen to that. With music, that can be irritating, but at least, like, it's over in a bit or whatever. But, like, politics makes people angry. And so, like, if I was driving a cab, I would never fucking play anything political in my car because, like, it's just not worth getting your customer upset about it, you know? Yeah. And I just don't understand why people do that. I, yeah, I'll never get it, but probably the same reason why people run around with red hats. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just supporting Trump. It's like trying to start shit sometimes. Like they're going to family reunions with a red hat. It's like, dude, it's like the one time you could take off the hat.
2: Or the restaurants that all have the TVs
1: turned to Fox News. Yeah. Put it on something neutral. Don't even put it on the news. Do you really want people watching the news? You know what I mean? Like no good's going to come of it. It's either going to be politicized or it's going to be something depressing and not get people in a good mood. Yeah. Like. Like I. I don't like the weather channel but at least like that's not going to visibly upset everybody most of the time
2: yeah or you know uh what like there's a pizza restaurant here in town and godfathers yeah talking
1: about <laughs> yeah
2: herman cain's joint yeah. it was before he got his own <laughs> award named after him <laughs> have you heard about that no so now They're giving, like, COVID anti-vaxxers, the people that die after being, like, so anti-vaxxed, they're getting the the Herman Cain Award. (sighs) I feel like we shouldn't touch this anymore. It's getting so (laughs) touchy-feely. Somebody's going to figure out where we live.
1: Do you remember back when we were doing a a different podcast that like, I was so fucking brazen about some shit that I was talking that I literally gave out my address and I just like loudly on air, I was like, come find me here. And I was like, I don't give a shit. And like, it's because I knew there wasn't very many people listening. Now there's enough people listening where I'm a little more like, yeah. and like I've moved a few times since then, but I would rather not give out my address. Or yeah, like, we're
0: not going to be doing that.
1: <laughs> I'd like poke the bear on this. But we do have an email address. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, not safe for network at gmail.com or not safe for network podcast at gmail.com. Either works. Send me one on either. I don't care. <laughs> Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email NotSafeForNetworkPodcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Have a laugh with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use, coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers.